We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at Kolchak the Night Stalker episode Firefall. Carl Kolchak, investigative reporter for the INS in Chicago, is drawn to a series of bizarre, spontaneous human combustion murders, or are they? He discovers they are all tied back to Ryder Bond, famous wunderkind of the symphony world and conductor of the Great Lakes Symphony, who is both at the scene of each crime and has an unassailable alibi at the same time. Kolchak begins to suspect that it is the work of a doppelganger, a ghost attempting to steal the life of a living person that they envy. With the help of some gypsies and caffeine pills, can Carl Kolchak rid the world of the doppelganger of Ryder Bond? So, <clears throat> doppelganger, doppelganger, doppelganger. What did you think of this episode, Simon? Well, it's called Firefall, episode, by the way. <laughs> Not doppelganger. Yeah, well, <laughs> as an episode, I was a bit sort of. It was okay, you know, entertaining enough. Um, but as a as a as a plot, this is kind of pretty random. I thought. Um, in the sense that they, you know, hey, let's do let's do a let's do ghosts this episode. But uh -huh. no, well, let's also do spontaneous human combustion. Well, how are we going to combine that with a ghost? I know we'll make our ghost an arsonist ghost. But also, let's do shape shifting. Let's do a shape shifting ghost, and we'll do it by <laughs> making our ghost a classical music buff, and he wants to shape shift into a into a. Co Conductor, except that's not why he shapeshifts into a conductor. It's because he drove in front of the cortege and... Uh... Good, good. I'm glad you said that. <clears throat> so I don't have to. That was, that was exactly my thought. It's like there are just so many pieces in this pot that they've tossed in here that... Well, I want to give them cre credit for not just doing the vampire story again, right? But it, it is, it's 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 quite a kind of a melee of of uh, odd bits and pieces that you know normally you get a story where there is some obvious tradition from which it's drawn some myth or something that that uh, has a has a kind of uh, strong kind of. Uh, folk underpinning so you can you can pull out the how are you going to defeat this from the bit because you know Kolchak doesn't really do science there's no sort of studying and working out what's going on and trying this and trying that it's all just hey let's go straight for the fairy tales and uh, mm -hmm. get it direct from there and Kolchak wins because he's the only one who's got the who uh, confidence or craziness to go into the fairy tales and do that but where do you get the fairy tale for a shape-shifting arsonist ghost spontaneous combustion thingy from? Right. 
I am um, a, a, a gypsy, obviously, but I, I think this. Um, I think this has some potential. Um, I think that a, maybe another pass or two at the script could have made a big difference. And I think the biggest one that bugged me, <clears throat> apart from the fact that, as you say, it seems to be a hodgepodge. I, I've got that in the note. It's like, wait a minute. Is the doppelganger trying to take over Ryder Bond because he's a fan of Ryder Bond in his life? Or is he trying to take over him because it was the pure coincidence that he drove past him on his way to the cemetery? Or, you know, it... it you just you kind of get this feeling like, well, do one or the other. Was the arsonist after him because he really wanted to be him, or, or, or is this supposed to be such a wild coincidence that somebody he he envied so much in real life happened to cut him off on his funeral procession that that's why we don't see doppelgangers all the time? There had to be some wild coincidence ghosts. <laughs> that, that that yeah triggered it off, and um. And all right, fine. If that's what it takes, there only be one every fifty years or whatever it was. Kolchak was was pointing out. Then I guess the, the the chance coincidence is enough. But then, what was the killing the people about? He was he was killing people who were friends of Ryder Bond. Okay, um, but. I think the only phrase that was used in the episode was was to wear him down so he'd go to sleep. Thinking you didn't need to do that. If you were just waiting for him to go to sleep, just just wait for him to go to sleep. <laughs> you don't well, need to I kill can... everybody. I didn't quite get why it was doing that. But this guy's this guy's a gangster and he he wants to make the he wants to make the man suffer for the you know, heinous crime of just cutting a bit too close to the hearse. Okay, all right, if that's it. All so, right. so that so clearly, you know, is proportional as a response to kill his friends before you you kind of torture him and murder him. Yeah, uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> so this is as good as any. But but even then, uh, the first case, first victim fell asleep dead. Second victim lounges. Presumably just fell asleep, dead. And then we're told it's about happening when you fall asleep. And then the third victim is killed wide awake in a car. Kolchak is nearly killed wide awake in the apartment, or at least fires start. I don't know if he was nearly killed, but didn't didn't really seem like he was in that much danger. And and then no, well that was that was very you got to fall asleep, and then I can kill you. So it, it just felt like, well, so there's a famous story, and, and, and Dan Curtis is no longer involved in this series, but he was the producer of the original two um, movies. There's a famous story that, uh, and, and I believe to be true, not just apocryphal, that when he was making Dark Shadows, they had a index card uh, file where they had gone through and written down Vampire, werewolf, um, devil, uh, zombie, witch, and Frankenstein's monster. And they would go to that index file when they needed to come up with something 
that they wanted to use in the story. And it could have just had ideas on it. And this one to me is spontaneous human combustion. And I think, I feel like that's where they started off on this path. And, um, it, it was, um, well, it's fine. I, I, yeah. I'd have been interested in the story about spontaneous human combustion. Uh-huh. I just don't quite get why it had to be connected with a doppelganger ghost. It's right, right. It is. It is. Now, okay, yeah. It, it's right. It's just I, um, there were bits of it. Like, why did the ghost have to appear to be like him to take over? I, yeah, I just I'm fine with it. I kind of enjoy. I, actually, I'll I'll go so far as to this. This is. The episode of Night Stalker that gave me such nightmares as a kid. I remember. It's pretty scary. The 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 uh, you know as nightmare fodder. The idea that as soon as you fall asleep, they're going to get you. It's partially that, and and I've never been one of those people who you know. Some people have a, a an unusual fear of fire. It was never. I was never that. You know, I was, as a kid, I was worried there was something under the bed, in the closet, whatever. Talk men. And, and, but it was the scenes where the doppelganger is sticking its head in the window at the church with yeah. the flames burning behind him. And he's got that, uh, the actor they got to play this part with that beard, which I can only assume is fake, uh, <laughs> was... Just the sort of impish, evil, Devilish. impish look on his face, and just kind of the playful way he's trying to get in the window, that just like, stuck in my head <laughs> and gave me trouble for days after this episode. And yet, it's not that scary of a scene watching it. It's just something about it, something about the shot. The way they they took the picture and the way the flames are back there and the look of his face and the uh, yeah just it just I, bugged I me. I think it's 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 quite memorable. It's it's the imagery is very sort of catching. So um, yeah, I, it's just it's funny the the things that just catch in your imagination as a kid and and leap out um, because I think that you know scenes like. Um, in the zombie where he's crawling across the zombie's body to try to get get up there and sew its mouth shut or when he's trapped in the ripper's house and you know he just he can't take those are, are from a filmmaking standpoint those have so much more tension and and uh even keys you up watching it than than those scenes did those are just something creepy about it that that got me so anyway i don't think there's any more episodes of kolchak uh before or after that stuck with me as much as that one image as as this in this episode so i get it out of the way um yeah so a lot of my notes in this episode are like why did he kill the first violinist why did he kill Ryder bond's girlfriend um, you know, it almost seems like if he's envious of his life, he'd want to keep, well, particularly the French girlfriend around, um, for when he came back. I don't know. Um, 
so that was, uh, you know, that that just that sort of well, why, why did why did this happen? Why is it this way in this story? Um, well, it would have made it, like I say. I think it would have made sense if what he was trying to do was destroy his life before destroying him in a, in a kind of ultra uh, vindictive kind of way. I mean, I thought when when this story started and you got a a, a kind of well, I suppose he was not. It struck me as a kind of m- mob murder. I've no idea why he was killed. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's only just occurred to me. I've got no idea why he was killed. But that that in the opening scenes was the immediate question in my head. You know, who's killed him and why? And now he's going to come back and haunt them because right. they killed him. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's the logical kind of story to do if you're going to do a gangster ghost. And if you were doing a gangster ghost, then then sort of killing all the people that your your murderer loves, or or you know messing up his life, and then killing him last would be a kind of very vindictive approach to take. True. That would have made sense. That has absolutely nothing to do with uh, classical music or spontaneous human combustion or whatever. So clearly, has no place in this story. But. Um, <laughs> Right, as you say, if it's if the ghost is angry for being cut off, for the disrespect of, of having his his hearse cut off, then it kind of makes sense to. All right, I'm going to make your life a living hell before I kill you. Okay, I can, I can accept that. I, I do think that they mentioned at the beginning that it was basically just a gang, gangland payback, for killing off uh, Frankie Markov. In the first place, so it, it really wasn't. It was business. But why did why did he, he's an arsonist? Yeah. Why did he kill someone? It's... I I don't know. I don't know. They didn't give that. Like, hey, the gangs are bad people. They kill people. Uh, maybe Frankie said something. He broke. The but code. he's not. He's not a gangster. He's an arsonist. That's the weird thing about it. They need him to be an arsonist because. They, you know, they want him to the fire motif, yeah, yeah, and yet they they can't have him be an arsonist if he's going to be killed. So it it is almost like can you not be an arsonist on the payroll of the gang? Do they not have arsonists? Well, like we need I, well, a warehouse fire, get Frankie down. Yeah, here. well, in in yeah, insurance scams or whatever. But but I mean the other the the other kind of motivation for arsonists is they like fire you know they're basically nutters so yeah. i saw no it seems like this episode no i'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. his, <laughs> his kid his kid sets two fires while his while their mum has while his mum has her back turned for about three seconds so uh-huh. i'm thinking he's he's probably more along the lines of a nutter but yeah okay let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he you know he he sets fire for insurance scams or whatever it's still kind of a bit of a stretch to to work out exactly what the motive would be for the mob to want to bump him off i mean it, it, certainly not saying it, it's implausible but i just want to know why except that's a different story it's chicago home of the gangs <laughs> i don't know i really don't know i hadn't thought about it i did just accept it as red this was a gangland thing for some reason and Frankie's time was up, and they took him down. But right, the, the there's also 
the tie-in back to the pinball place. Yeah. Which I guess sort of, um, if you have to take the body back to the place where it died, then, you know, it doesn't matter what place it is. You have to take it back somewhere. But when they start off the opening narration where Kolchak is sitting in the back of the police car and he's talking about the, the, the pinball arcades of your childhood, um, it feels like it plays a much more important part in the story than yeah. it really does. Yeah, what is the scary one of the scariest experiences of his life? Well, presumably it's getting a bit singed trying to exit the building after he's reunited the ghost with his body. But yeah, yeah, it wouldn't it, would, it wouldn't it wouldn't rate in those terms even compared to some of the experiences in the other episodes. So yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. But it could be sort of reporters' hyperbole too. Well, yeah. I get a little of that out of his writing. He, he I'm, I don't want to say he's a sensationalist, but some of the way he phrases stuff, he does kind of sound like he's a practiced headlines writer. Yeah. So um, I, I kind of forgive him. All right, for crying out loud, he hauled a dead body in a bag into the arcade and then it caught fire around him. All right, I suppose, you know, when a ghost is staring him down. It would probably be scary. (laughs) Yeah, it probably would. But I I would say the the uh, the scenes which scared you, the kind of being in the church Mm -hmm. after fifty two hours awake or whatever it was, that's that's more kind of scary. I mean, that that's another interesting aspect of it. uh, Slightly kind of throw away in this the the whole sleep deprivation thing. Uh huh. I guess there's nothing particularly paranormal about it, but it's an interesting thing to throw in. But there isn't really room for it in this episode when they've got all this other stuff knocking around that they aren't really dealing with. So, Yes, and it doesn't quite fit in terms of how many hours this story has been going on. Time seems to be passing much quicker than what Kolchak is relating. Is that... Does that kind of make sense? He, like, by the time he goes to the gypsy and he says, Oh, I haven't slept for two nights. It's like, has it been two nights since this happened? It it only seems like it was yesterday. And so, Kolchak's, uh, now I'm 52 hours, and now I'm, uh, you know, vis a vis the time frame he had before the gypsy's brothers yeah. came to beat him up. Um, well, it I just didn't they could have... work. Uh, they... I... Go ahead. Well, I don't. I don't know how they. I don't know how you'd show that. You, normally, you could maybe add to the passing of time, even if it would be a bit dull. You know, having have him leave leave the office or come in in the morning or whatever. But clearly, he's not going home and mm-hmm. spending an ordinary evening and going to bed and sleeping because he's not going to bed and sleeping. He's desperately trying to get this ghost off his case. But yeah, I, I take your point. It's not. It's certainly not conveyed in any other way other than the dialogue. Right. He just... It, well, you know, th- there are a couple scenes, if you're paying attention, he's doing something during the day, he's doing something at night, he's doing something during the day. And you could put the pieces together chronologically. It says, okay, that's a day, that's a night, that's a day, that's a night. We could take a stab at it. But it just didn't... 
it almost seems like when he went from one terrifying scene to visiting the gypsy, it seemed like he said, well, I haven't slept because I've been terrified for 48 hours. And suddenly it's like, what? why'd you wait 48 hours to go see the gypsy? Um, what were you doing during that time? What, what clues were you looking for? I, uh, it, it just, like I said, it, it all seems like a script polish or something, uh, because uh, here's another one. She says, uh, he goes to the gypsy and, uh, and I quite like the gypsy where she was in more episodes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, she she gets the best dialogue, or like, you know, just did. playing the church and flake out. Or, yeah, she was uh, cute my favorite and she line. Was good and useful. How 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 terrible to be broken, superstitious at the same time. Classic. <laughs> um, has to go see her grandmother, but it's the part where she takes the two hundred dollars from Kolchak, and he says, "All right, fine, I'll pay it, I'll pay it." And the next time we hear anything about it, and it doesn't seem like it's been forty eight hours, but again. We, we've lost track of time. He's so desperate, he's going to break Vincenzo's desk to steal yeah. the money, and he's got to get it to these gypsies before they beat him up. It's like, so you didn't pay her? You, uh, you know, did she did she come to you and say, by the way, Carl, you better get me the money? Nothing. Just the, he just went straight to he's in he's in arrears with the I'm guessing more mob. Well, gypsies kind of are portrayed often as as a criminal gang. So, um, uh, by the way, uh, two hundred dollars in nineteen seventy four money is one thousand and forty five equivalent in today money. So that uh, was a that was a big ask for going to see your grandmother and getting some information. Yeah, but you know he's desperate, so uh-huh. it. It, it makes sense that she can kind of and I was ba- think- basically extort, extort as much as she possibly can out of him. And I was thinking as I as I sat there and watched that, I said, isn't the difference between this world that we live in and that world that we're watching so different? In 1974, you had to go find a gypsy in a tea room <laughs> to learn about a doppelganger, and we can just... Look it up on Wikipedia and get all the information that we need. You know, how different would these stories be leaping forward? Uh, that Because the consultation with the expert seems to be a uh, staple of the, the Night Stalker formula. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was... Um, Oh, and another thing that's interesting about this, while I'm on the idea of the information available at hand, werewolf, vampire, zombie, all of that has a fairly strong um, pop culture uh, presence in the mind of people. If somebody says vampire, even though this has been changed and diluted a lot in the last 20 years as writers like Anne Rice and and whoever did that silly Twilight story and uh, whatever have have tried to get fresh takes on the vampire story. If somebody says vampire, you think crosses, sunlight, coffins, garlic, stake through the heart. 
those things yeah. just da, 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 da. somebody says doppelganger and you go uh it looks like you um is that supposed to be a supernatural thing <laughs> i thought that just was well, just, just like when you. it's a ghost <laughs> well and so i uh yeah so it doesn't have the it doesn't have the the prevalence so yeah it kind of makes sense you'd have to go find somebody and i guess he did consult the department of parapsychology at the at the university but he didn't get anything from them much at least that's what i got from the way the narration goes seeing hmm. him running in and then next thing he goes to find a gypsy cuz they laughed at him i guess well <clears throat> anyway but for the record i looked up doppelganger on wikipedia so that i would be more try to understand what the heck is going on turns out yeah no no i didn't i didn't get any of this at all no no spirit trying to take over your body no um can't go to sleep nothing none of that is there in the entry on doppelganger and i'll admit it wasn't very useful so hang on, if I was fighting a doppelganger, Wikipedia would not have saved my saved my bacon. So, so I was wrong. But this is a, this is specifically there's a thing about doppelganger ghosts. Well, a doppelganger in its original form is a sort of supernatural creature. Ah, so the the kind of sense in which it's just taken to be someone who looks like you is is more modern. That's right. Ah, okay, okay. So doppelganger so is a, a sort of an evil spirit that uh, the best I'm getting out of it is that you see it before, or people see it, but it's usually you see your own doppelganger before something bad happens. So you see someone and, and, who looks, just looks like you and then your house burns down or things and, like and that. That's, and that spirit is supposed to be uh, someone who had been living and it didn't resemble you didn't didn't say that didn't get that, that out just of wikipedia it's super just, random to me it's not even it's not even quote unquote a ghost it's some sort of supernatural entity and right i, I suppose i could have dug further but i went through the wikipedia article on my sort of predetermined course is going, see how great it is. We could just look it up on Wikipedia because that's what I was thinking of while I'm watching her talk to, to the gypsy. Although I would much rather be talking to the gypsy than talking to Wikipedia, <laughs> I will admit. But, um, uh, it was just kind of, uh, and I didn't want to dig any deeper, but no, Wikipedia wouldn't have told me anything other than it could be a spirit or it could be used as just somebody who looks like you or, <clears throat> It could be a portent of disaster. That's a that's a big one. So, but I got nothing about this being a recently deceased person. Nothing about taking over your life. Um, yeah, I don't know where they got that from. But, uh, or they just made it up whole cloth because they'd heard of the term. But I'm guessing they'd heard the term in the context of it being some sort of supernatural thing. Um, I think a doppelganger means a double walker, double goer in 
true. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm guessing. Well, I have a series of books. I'm going to admit this. I have a series of books on my bookshelf um, that discuss a variety of supernatural topics. Um, because although I have placed no credibility in them of any form whatsoever, I find them fascinating. And I have a number of books that, you know, might give a topic a page or two of treatment and nothing more. It's just sort of like in the tales of the uh, middle European period from the 14th century, blah, blah, blah. And they just give a little detail. And sometimes you'll find these tales to be wildly differing from one to the next. And, you know, almost as if it was just completely two different, two different legends with the same name. And, you know, maybe that's what they had. Maybe they have one of these books that were quite popular in the mid seventies and doppelganger. Somebody put in, it was, uh, you know, evil spirit, uh, looks like you trying to take over your life. Boom. And then they ran with it. They must have got a germ from the idea somewhere, but I didn't get it out of Wikipedia. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's hooking it up with the idea of a recently deceased arsonist and spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Why? Well, yeah, spontaneous human combustion. Yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> um, let's see. What have I got here? Well, we have to talk about the dog. <laughs> yes, we do. I just looking down at my note that says aspirin is deadly to dogs, isn't it? Oh yeah. He he suggested yeah. giving that dog two aspirin and some warm milk. God. <laughs> I did that didn't even occur to me. But yes. So, and they screened that. Yes. Well I don't think I wonder, we knew that. Back I wonder then. how many dogs have suffered. I I hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, go ahead. Talk about the dog. I mean, apart from the well, I we, I just yeah. didn't think Randolph was the, the the best performing dog that I'd ever seen because clearly when he when he sees the ghost, he's supposed to look scared. So does he look scared to you? I mean, you're more of a dog person than me. You, you I, I I've never had a dog of my own. I, I've never had a dog that expressed terror. Um, well, express terror by grabbing hold of his lead and tugging on it as if he wants to go for a walk. That was, um, I see. And I got, he was just trying to, let's go this way, this way, mom, not that way. <laughs> he definitely did not look like a dog looks when it's scared, you know, hackles, low growling, um, complete attention on the thing that he's scared of. I'm going you know, to this... admit a terrible thing. That kind of dog, I, I kind of don't necessarily think of as sort of entirely dog-like. So uh, I did. You mean the lap dog? Yeah. Well, you know those those things that don't look a lot like a wolf. Um, <laughs> so the further away they are from that sort of wolfy ideal, not saying that my dog looks like a wolf or anything, but. You know, by the time you get to the point of the Pekingese and the, the Chihuahuas and the Pomeranians and the stuff like that, I, I don't it, it's I don't think of them as acting the same way. 
you know they're yappy they're 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 excitable in different ways and so yeah i thought that i didn't think of it as a bad acting job i just thought well it's a dog that's upset and wants to go the other way and so well, i took it as i took I, it as okay I, I don't think it's a dog that's upset on the other hand i kind of understand that it would not be acceptable to scare a dog for the purposes of a making a television show and how would you do it Well, uh, loud noises, I don't, giant don't know, cat. Knowing the... uh, <laughs> we've got a lion here. We're just going to have the lion here scare the that dog. That would work. <laughs> Snake uh, would probably work. Could well, I, yeah, I mean, dog be, outsize, yeah. Although, although I think I think it would be unethical. Um, the YouTube is full of people putting cucumbers next to their cats, which I don't find that unethical. I mean, it's a cucumber. But um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it scares the wits out of the cat, which is, you know, hardly justification for getting a getting a few hundred hits on YouTube or whatever. Or well, when you look hits, at it I mean, that frankly. way, now you've ruined that whole cats and cucumbers <laughs> craze for me. I thought it was well, just a I'm bunch of harmless fun, and now making me wish I had a cat, and and just to see if that really works. <laughs> I'm having a hard time buying that. I, I still, whenever I see that, I like that. There's got to be a trick to this. You can't just be put a cucumber behind a cat; it jumps. It's but. the snake thing. It's snakes, which <sighs> is obviously not that I'm suggesting that what you should do is a, is scare the dog with a snake. It's just the you know when he was even when he was being supposed to be bad tempered and growling at Kolchak, he clearly wasn't growling it was oh yeah that was dubbing it that was, was a badly my dubbed dog my complaint was that he wasn't growing at Kolchak. It, it, it really was i mean yeah, was at least he was doing lip-sync. something in the hallway and he was like trying to go the other way and 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 he was actually making noises but when he would growl at Kolchak, it was so obvious that they had to dub it um over uh were we supposed to get then that a dog intuitively doesn't like Kolchang? And and were we supposed to get that Kolchak didn't really like dogs and he was lying to her? Or because he seemed to have, I mean, a very natural grasp of, oh, does your dog have constipation problems? You're taking that little dog for such a long walk. I mean, he, he really leapt to a pretty informed dog owner kind of conclusion there which turned out to be right when he was first talking with her um and then he turns around and tries to poison it with aspirin so that was that was my question it was like was that kolchak actually knows something about dogs and that was just the ignorance of the times because they would have said give two aspirin to your kids too in 1974 I didn't so. get the sense that he was anti-dog, but I did get the sense that he wasn't necessarily terribly sincere. He was just using... Oh, yeah, he was definitely the, using... The, you know, the connection to... So, I, I, my reading of it was it was supposed to be the dog seeing through him, but obviously then get the dog to growl at him. So, it wouldn't, to me, have ruined the story if they just lost that bit. Mm-hmm. I mean... I, there, the only was... purpose in having the dog is so that it can growl at the flipping ghost anyway. Never never work with children and animals. There you go. 
they had a, they had a long time to kill in this episode because I, I did notice it was an unusual number of Kolchak driving around the streets of uh, Los Angeles pretending to be Chicago, uh, and a few shots of Kolchak driving around the streets of Chicago, um, or or made up to look like it was, uh, more effectively uh, Chicago than was really warranted um, for the story. Uh, question about the dog scene. Or no, no, let's take a step back. <clears throat> the doppelganger. We're given a couple of examples where people see the doppelganger and they assume that it's Ryder Bond. They have He's in the orchestra pit and they give him the message um, at one point. Um, Kolchak is let into the house by him or the apartment and completely fooled by it. And okay, fine. Right? I mean, that's the whole he, he point. Can cl- he can clearly do some physical interaction if he can open doors and accept notes. Right. But then, so he doesn't do talking. But in the dog scene, it's a disembodied head floating in the hallway that you can see through. And one, that's disturbing the dog. Okay. And two, the socialite woman who knows so much about Ryder Bond to recognize him by sight from his floating disembodied semi-transparent head in the hallway (laughs) doesn't bother to mention to the police or Kolchak or anybody, by the way, it was just his head floating in the hallway. That part bugged me. A lot. Um, And less so when the French girl was killed. Um, You know, she sees his reflection in the water. That was good. Yeah. The the eyewitnesses saw him as a a figure out of the corner of their eye that just disappeared. That was good. But I think there was still one scene where we see his floating disembodied head. She sees before she lies down to go to sleep. Uh, not at all freaked out by the floating disembodied head. Um, I, I failure of post production. Is that a is that a possibility? You know, the actor is told, "Well, you're." I mean, Kolchak's what's supposed scene to in happen? The, I, I don't know. That maybe they should have shown a full body shot of the guy standing there. But that they'd have had to actually shoot him in the corridor. Presumably, this he was not shot in the corridor. He wouldn't have been able to superimpose it. I I, I agree, and but they could have. So there's a scene where. Uh, well, yeah, they would have had to have done that. Okay, I forgot. I'm I'm thinking green screen. I'm thinking modern techniques where they could have. Well, they obviously superimposed him in an optical printer, uh, but you know the the scene where he greets Kolchak and lets him into the well greets him is the wrong word, but lets Kolchak into the apartment. Obviously, the actor is there. Kolchak sits down, looks at the ground, and he disappears. I'm guessing that was a standard Star Trek transporter effect where they, you know, uh, cross-faded between the yeah. scenes. So I, and the floating head was a, a an optical printing technique. I suppose that it would have been the, if the intent was to have him there and have him wink out so that we, the audience, know there's something Goofy. I mean, the old woman could have looked down at her dog. They like, shut up, Randolph, or whatever his name was, and look up, and he was gone. 
And yes. that would have been more effective. And it would have not told yeah. us as much about the the story. We were given too much in that very first scene. Yeah. Actually. Uh, it would have been a better mystery if we had just seen the man standing there and then not there when she looked back up. Um, eh, missed opportunity. They, when they remake this, um, they definitely should be thinking about these things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's see. Most of my questions are about why, because it's all... Um, yeah, why is this episode not called The Doppelganger? Because it's about an arsonist. I don't know. <laughs> it's be- it, I mean, it all comes down, it all comes back to the fact that it is at least two stories. It's like someone's done a cut and shut job on two different scripts. And one of them is about the spontaneous human combustion. So, mm-hmm. fire fall, fire fall, fall, I don't. I mean, yeah. even then, yeah, I don't understand the title of the story, but it's a reference to that aspect of it rather than this aspect of it. It's a, it's a, a rock band at that time, I believe, called Firefall. They might have been a couple years after that. I wonder if they took their name from this. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely was a couple years after this, but anyway. Um, I, I'm impressed at the ease with which apparently after days because of our sleep timing i'm amazed at the ease with which carl kolchak was able to dig up a body from the cemetery shove it in a bag and drag it around town and then the body was in pretty good shape when he dumped it out on the floor <laughs> yep why did he have to take it out of the bag is it so the mm, maybe yeah, it's so the ghost question. could see it? All right, I'll accept that. Well, maybe the ghost couldn't, you know, couldn't get into the bag. Yeah, well, he's an arsonist, not a an escapologist. <laughs> that was that part was. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's the worst thing that Kolchak's had to do yet to uh, to dispatch the. The creature or not? Here's the here's the thing, though. It's all the thing that Kolchak always does is basically destroy the whatever it is. So um, the there'd be episodes of the X Files, for example, where the the monster of the week, whatever form it took, wasn't entirely malevolent. It mm-hmm. might have killed people or whatever, It might, but it had its own particular motivation. And if you understood that, there would be ways of kind of making it safe without destroying it. And, and often they, they wanted to, um, if, they, if they needed for safety to, to lock it up, they would lock it up somewhere where they could study it. Whereas in Kolchak, it seems to be part of his kind of standard M.O., that he has to work out, he has to find out what the, the method is for defeating things, and then he has to kill it. So that has to be a standard part of the story. You couldn't have a story where, well, I suppose the alien one is the exception to that, isn't it? But you couldn't have a story where Kolchak doesn't end up 
killing the monster. And yeah, it, 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 the, the, the sergeant in this touches on it because he says, you want to report, report. You want to do police work, apply to the academy. But he doesn't Hogwarts. actually want to do either of those things. What he's, do, what he's not... He's not doing stuff that he needs to do as a reporter. He's he's he always wants to go out there and nail it. Whatever. I I mean, in this case, clearly, he he has put himself in a position where it is targeting him, mm-hmm. and he needs to deal with that. But still, you know, the, is the it- stories seem to be set up around this idea that it has to be. Kolchak versus the monster fight to the death. Well, do you not think that it's um, kind of a throwback to? And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put this on Christianity, but we'll, I'll, I'll use it as an example. The vampire again, coming back to it. The the cross. It's it's anathema to good righteous people the spirit world is an evil world it's not a different world it's evil and it must be fought there is there's no quarter suffer a witch to live yeah there's no quarter here for supernatural beings to be anything but something that has to be sent back to the bowels of hell and so i think that's just um the storytelling that they want to Okay. They interject those they, two together. They want to tell those stories for that reason. Fair enough. But they've what they've actually done is set up a series where the protagonist is a reporter. Mm-hmm. So his job isn't, you know, fighting Satan, fighting the dark side or whatever. His job is uncovering the truth. And yet, he he rarely seems to spend much as much time doing that as he does buying hammers and stakes or dragging bodies out of graves or whatever in order to completely obliterate whatever it is that he's supposed to have been reporting on in the first place. So so isn't uh, Kolchak supposed to be, and I, 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 I'm taking a bit of a stretch here, but I mean, isn't he supposed to be more in the sort of, okay, don't laugh, sort of the Hemingway mold here? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You know, Hummingway was not just a reporter. He was a novelist and a short story writer and 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 uh, an adventurer. He was he was a man who made news. He didn't just just report on it. And although Kolchak is, has got a different series of tropes about his his personality uh, that also fall in the kind of uh, reporter vein. You know, he is a bit of a, 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 he breaks the mold as well as he fits into the stereotype. Um, That's always kind of the impression I've gotten is that they've just, they've just tried to combine the fact that if you were a person who digs and digs and digs until you get to the truth, when you get to the truth and no one will believe you because they don't, invariably they don't, um... Do, do you, in good conscience, move on and, and do something about it? And, yeah, it's not the ideal of a journalist, but we're dealing with 
a, a, a fictional, you know, again, here with a series where we have the same thing basically happen repeatedly. When you're talking about in the first story, in the, in the, the, the movie, it makes sense. You've got a reporter, he finds the truth, there's nothing that anyone will do. And he breaks that barrier between one who reports the news and one who has to take yeah. action. Um, it, it does but get that's a little a, stretched as it. That's a on. one-off, right? I, that's a one-off, but the series continues with him as a reporter. You know, that's that's he, he goes. I can't imagine Hemingway working for INS and, you know, doing the kind of stories that Vincenzo thinks Kolchak is supposed to be doing. Um, so writing about whatever the scam was that he was supposed to be writing about in this, that's, that just doesn't seem to me the kind of writing that Kolchak does. Well, investigative can... journalism into the scam. Yeah, sure. It's, inv- it's investigative journalism, but it's, but it's not, it's not adventuring. Mm-hmm. And clearly Kolchak has a particular interest in the paranormal, but you could still report on that without, you know, without actually trying to wipe out every uh, everything you par- find paranormal creature that that you come across, um, if if that was if that was the story you were setting out to tell, what why wouldn't your hero be uh, I don't know a, a priest, for example? You know, look at Ultraviolet, where you have a unit that's led by a priest. It's it makes sense if what you want to do is cleanse the world of uh, of something to to do but that's that's not that's that's not the ethos of the reporter the reporter doesn't you know doesn't venerate the 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 police are after justice the reporters are after truth neither of these things really kind of i mean police more so but neither of them really require absolutely wiping out these these monsters or creatures or whatever you want to call them i think it's a weakness of the it's a weakness of the premise um you know i the the going back to the original movie it was a one-off it was an idea conceived by a reporter and it is a classic uh it's a classic uh trope of writing stories that you take the hero and you put them in a situation that's beyond their um, scope and see how they rise to the occasion. And that's what we had in the original, in the original series. Um, It's a failing of episodic television that we then take that same trope week after week. And, and almost as if there was a, amnesia that occurs from one week to the next. Although Kolchak doesn't seem to have any trouble leaping to the supernatural conclusion anymore. No, um, that's, that's certainly true. That's but certainly it, but, true, it's, but not, you know. it's not like they can't do episodes without this, actually, because thinking about the alien episode, that is, that is the exception, you know. So I, I don't see why they feel like it always has to follow this pattern. Well, maybe to, to, to the point where we we get this kind of 
extreme of absurdity of of going and digging up this body, hauling it in a bag to the arcade, and then you know recombining it with its ghost. Okay, now wait a minute. So actually, come here. Let's let's uh, let me take a step back here. He didn't destroy this thing. He sent it back to its rest. It's not like the vampire that he stuck a stake through its heart, or the werewolf that he shot and threw off a um, cruise liner. I mean, those he destroyed. But but this, he just put it to rest. I mean, this is sort of more in the lines of having a priest calm the spirit and, and let them go back to their state. So he, he's doing it. Well, okay. He's preventing I- its nefarious plan, yes, but he didn't quote-unquote destroy well, you can it, you say. can spin it in those terms but he's but he isn't a priest that isn't his job he's not a social worker for um arsonist doppelganger ghosts it's not it's not his role to to be doing that stuff he's a he's but he a sees it citizen. as as being his duty i guess all right so uh i'm trying to i'm trying to wriggle my mind through the episodes we've seen so far is this the first one where the creature has actively started targeting kolchak because kolchak was investigating i don't think so but i couldn't put my finger on where it's happened oh the the zombie um right the the zombie priestess priest priestesses Priestess. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Add Kolchak to the list of people to get killed. Um, yeah, but the not the Ripper, not the werewolf, not the aliens. Um. So yeah, not not even in the movies did the uh, the vampire, the strangler, go after Kolchak. But I'm not picking on this episode because Kolchak needs to do it in order to. Survive. Get them off his back. I'm picking on it because it's such an absurd scenario that we end up with, I and it's and it seems to be it seems to have been contrived in order to fit this pattern, maybe, maybe which I'm seems just, an unnecessary pattern. Maybe it's just uh, it, it could be my age, and it could just be my age. It's like you have this, you have two choices when you're confronted by a, a, a ghost or a, 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 an evil spirit. You either run from it or you find a way to try to destroy it and i don't necessarily mean you yourself have to do that i mean you could go out and get a priest or something and do it but that that it does seem to be the two courses of action when confronted with supernatural terror and not well that's a very interesting phenomena i'm going to study it or i'm just going to write about it and let it go on and do its thing and let somebody else take it i i i i get your point i really do it it is not what a reporter does and if we were talking a true journalist instead of a, a contrived journalist maybe i mean the same would be true with if it, if kolchak were a a research scientist would we be in a position where he, the research scientist would say no 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 i'm not going to do anything about this not necessarily this one because it's targeting him but i'm not going to do anything about this vampire i'm going to observe it and i'm going to watch it because that's where the tropes of <clears throat> that's where the part of the tropes that i get in with the whole mary shelley thing about scientists being detached from uh the real world and having no uh concept ethical concepts of what they're doing is harming the world um 
And and the reporter is supposed to be a bit of a crusader, or at least that's the that that's, that was the stereotype at the, the time cru- here. The, cru- the crusade and justice is, and yeah, it is a crusade of truth specifically, and that that means bringing to light things that other people are going to act on. You don't you don't find out that, that I don't know. There's a fraud going on in. In, at the highest levels of government or whatever and think, right, what I need to do is go and arrest those people myself. You think what I need to do is expose those people and then the authorities will take care of it. Now, clearly, this is a slightly different situation because there aren't obvious authorities. But the gusto with which Kolchak goes in as if he is the only person who can solve any of these things is has become kind of... A little bit ridiculous. <laughs> and, and that's what this episode's showing. I, I think, yeah. Well, I... Yeah. I, this one, to me... Back to this episode. I mean, he's got a very real uh, death threat over his head. And he's spoken with the police. And the police have the same information that he has, for the most part. And they don't believe it. So... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not even. I'm not even quibbling with his motivations within this particular episode itself. It's more that they keep setting up the story in the way that it. You know, it has mm-hmm. to be Kolchak, and it has to be he wipes it out. I suspect just uh, on the surface of it, that's probably a relatively common theme uh, in in the course of the. Episode that does remind me. There's an interesting line in this episode where Kolchak is narrating, and he says that um, um, he says two things: grave robbing and body snatching are still crimes in Chicago. So I had to do this at night. I thought, <laughs> yeah, this is well, why still. <laughs> Our crimes. How about our crimes? Are you thinking that perhaps in the future they won't be crimes? I, uh... <laughs> well, you know, it's this kind of old-fashioned um, puritanical thinking that people have about uh, grave robbing and necrophilia, etc. It's definitely a bad thing. Nobody brought up necrophilia here. There was no mention of necrophilia until you brought that into this conversation. I'm just, I'm saying. Well, I'm, ju- I'm just, I'm just saying. If, if Kolchak wants to portray himself as being open-minded and and kind of, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then we have the <laughs> the Christmas tree scene. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I laugh at that from so many different levels when I'm watching that scene. One is that Christmas tree looks so, so 40, 50 years ago. <laughs> the, those particular baubles, that particular tinsel, it it just, it looks like, you know, the, 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 what, it's a good life and, and, and going back to the, those days look like on the Christmas tree. I, I look at that and I go, wow, that's an old Christmas tree. And then when the guy says, yeah, it's a great idea, a Christmas tree that comes pre-trimmed. And it, th- there's, 
there's something about that that in I think, if my recollection is correct, nobody would have gone for that in 1970, in the early 1970s, because trimming the tree was the whole point. It was the kind of family ritual to get around and do the tree. I mean, still a lot of people hold it that way even today. But um, Trim means decorating in American, does it? Yes. Ah, okay. Well, that suddenly makes a lot more sense of that scene. Trimming the tree in in Christmas terms here means putting all the the baubles uh, and stuff, putting the trimmings on it. Ah, yeah. So you've just verbified it. I understand. I understand. To trim something um, in uh, British would mean to sort of snip it. And and that's what it means here if you're talking about live plants. I go trim the hedges and things. Yeah, absolutely. So we use it two different ways. Or you trim the tree, trim the hedges. We absolutely do use it that way. And I don't know exactly why, but when it comes to Christmas trees, trimming the tree means getting it all dolled up for not not topiary. do you not use trimmings to mean um all the trimmings yes okay so yes, for food yeah noun. it's it's in that same in that same vein we talk about um thanksgiving dinner with all the trimmings yeah it's the accessories i i never really occurred to me that that term was a uh, non non-universal transferred uh concept because i know that you use all the trimmings for 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 meals so i just okay so no you talk about the trimmings it it wouldn't be used as a verb in that context Ah, we're we're more adventurous with our use of the english language (laughs) well that's certainly true (laughs) um and uh i i I still remember there's a, a tv series that you may or may not know doctor in the house um from oh so long ago it's british and I can still remember a, a scene where um, one of the doctors has come back from spending a few years studying in the United States. And um, he's adopted this very not British manners about his surgery. Like he won't have a beer before going into the operating theater and, and all these <laughs> things that the other doctors are like, what? You know, it's like, no, I'd, I'd like to keep, you know, it's very straight lace, but, but somebody points that out to him and he says, yes, the Americans have a whole different methodological system for uh, doing things. And the other guy, and the other guys, do you mean they have a different method? Uh, you know, just, just cutting that, <laughs> cutting his English down to a nice concise sentence instead of this, Ridiculous thing, but I didn't put this one in that category. This trimming tree, anyway. <clears throat> the point is, is that the act of putting the trimmings on a tree was a big deal, and in the 1970s, we were beginning to have that convenience versus tradition, you know, TV dinners, and uh, you know, the, the the modern life was encroaching itself. So the idea. I think was meant as a joke at that time for someone to say, look, it's a great idea. You just have the tree and it just pops out of the box and you put it up and it's done. You don't have to do anything. And I think it was meant as a joke, but my Christmas tree in my house is in fact pre-lit. Oh my God. (laughs) We still put ornaments on it, but I mean, all the lights are actually in the it's an obviously artificial tree at that point, but 
it's it's already lit up. My my previous one had fiber optics, which was so awesome looking. Yeah, this I can see, I can see that. Uh, this one had LED lights in it, and you know it still looks good, but it saves you a lot of trouble on the lights. Um, we still put you know our Doctor Who ornaments and stuff up on it, but doesn't save you that trouble. It doesn't save us that trouble. Um, but, but I think, just... like 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 you say, the the enjoyment is is getting together and and doing that kind of stuff. But right. Christmas has become such a huge. Um, commercial it's it, the, the commercial importance of christmas has become enormous and so the idea of there being you know any corner of a, a workplace anywhere that didn't have a christmas tree in it has become unthinkable but any estates division is going to go oh right we get trees that we just pop out of the box and then at the end of the season we can just pop them straight back in the box that's going to save us several man hours <laughs> i'm sure those things are sold in bulk to to businesses for that that precise reason and they probably weren't in 1974 right so it just I, i'm looking at that and it's like that's kind of that's just funny that that they're making i think they're making a commentary at, at that yeah. point and and of course then they're just burning it it's on torching the thing <laughs> It's just, it's just the whole thing was funny, but it didn't make i, I particularly like the guy the fact they had a guy standing in the room with it uh-huh. Like that was really essential. <laughs> Somebody's got to keep an eye on that. Um, he's, he had a flamethrower, didn't he? At one point, I thought the, I thought there was a flamethrower in the wall. But anyway, oh yes, you're right. They're right. There was in the wall. Too That's much. Right. He was standing there. Um, but they didn't go anywhere at all with the. There must be some sort of military grade accelerant. Oh yeah, this is the guy. He, I mean, they set him up for it, and then Kolchak never investigates it, or they cut it out, or it didn't go anywhere. It's almost like they set the scene up for the Christmas tree joke, and then ignored it. Yes. So, so Kolchak's approach to this kind of deductive reasoning is that once you have eliminated the impossible well no hang on let's not eliminate the impossible because if there's something impossible there's no point in investigating anything that's just improbable the impossible thing must be true possible no no no, that's not it yeah i'm sure we can come up with a motto for kolchak here with a little bit variation on that whole sherlock holmes thing if we just give it once you've ignored the possible the only thing remaining is the impossible there we go. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, so, oh, Kolchak's a 20-year uh, reporter. 20-year veteran. We got that out of Vincenzo today. Yep, yep. So, um, he must... He must have some reporting skills. We just don't always... You know, Vincenzo gives him the stories that seem to require actual work, and and I'm not I'm not joking here. I mean, whenever we do yeah. hear a story like this one about the the, the housing fraud, um, you know, he's not going to give it to Updike. Um, of course, he doesn't have any other reporters on staff, so maybe that's it. It's a very small office. It's a very small news office that has. Um, one investigative reporter, one social 
editor? Is that what Updike is? Um, what a woman who does editor? the games and and an extra intern. That seems to be all they have in that office. Hmm. Um, that does seem to be kind of like when when INS was branching out, going, huh, Chicago, what do we need in Chicago? Crossword puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> we can't use ours. We have, I, I have to admit, I, was, I, I am kind of fascinated by, um, and I haven't had a chance to do it, but I, I've recently taken to um, uh, subscribing to the New York Times uh, in an effort to give them money to keep digging on that <clears throat> creature uh, that's in the White House. Uh, but um, so I was taken to doing the New York Times crossword puzzles. And uh, <laughs> which coincidentally, and and I, I was in a way fascinated just the brief glimpse we got of Monique working on the crossword puzzle because she had the big board out there. And I have seen pictures of those before where they lay them out. And I'm like, how do you do that? How, how do you, how do you make a crossword puzzle? That just. I, I, I think you have to have a very weird brain. I, that's the only thing I can think of. It's like, wow. How, how do you do that? And then make it symmetrical. I could probably make one that wasn't symmetrical, but to, to make one that is symmetrical, I don't think I could do that. You know, when you when you see those crossword puzzles for like kids that are just certain lines crossing over each other and kind of weird shapes, I could do that. But uh, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so now I'm going to go search out a documentary on how to make crossword puzzles on YouTube because I think there is one. <laughs> um, because I am impressed, infuriated, but impressed uh, by them. By them. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else? Nothing about the gypsies, the bodies? Uh, no, no, no. Got terrified as a kid. Yep, nope. Um, I don't have anything. The MO and the murder was different on the one, the guy in the car, too. How so? We didn't see what was. Well, I mean, in the he, car. he got. Oh, you just car. mean he wasn't asleep? Well, not just that he wasn't asleep, but I mean, he, apparently the ghost went out of its way to meet up with the guy, get in the car, uh, going off on a nice drive, which, you know, they were in the car long enough, you're kind of wondering if he hadn't noticed why Mr. Bond hadn't spoken a word. Uh, and then blow the car up it just it seemed it was contrived to get Kolchak something to do but the other people were just kind of eh, lounging around doing their thing and then boom dead so yeah I was kind of wondering about that one um, but again I think it was just it was for effect um, got anything else nope I, I do not. Um, again, I'm glad I'm past the episode that terrified me as a kid. Although I will say I, I slept just fine uh, after watching this for the reviews. Well so, done. Uh, not too... Um, You're a big boy now. I am. I, <laughs> I, I did still like that scene, though. <laughs> and, the, and the noise they made, too. They treated the sound when he was tapping on the yeah. window. They're like... Yeah. 
It's very, uh, very uh, memorable scene. In fact, it's so memorable. I thought the whole story had to do with big open flames and burning and this devil-like creature. And uh, but uh, it was not it was not the case at all. <laughs> Funny how the mind works. All right. Well, uh, Simon, thank you. My pleasure. And I think, if my memory is correct, that the next episode is The Devil's Candidate. Mm -hmm. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.